Digital Drift, episode 73, recorded Friday, May 1st, 2015, Terminator Salvation. I knew it was coming. Well, let's destroy any tension by starting off by saying that it is life-threateningly dull. But I don't know if we can win this war. We are outnumbered by machines. And we have all lost so very much. Oh, look, he's doing his Batman voice. But this is not the future my mother warned me about. Who are you? John Connor! Something has changed. is like Michael Bay's untalented cousin. One of the most important sci-fi action movies ever. Blah, 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 shitty sequel. Look, if they're not going to try, why should we? Here's the problem with Terminator Salvation. Oh, by the way, hello, Sharon. Hello. Here's the problem with Terminator Salvation. It's written by a pair of morons. John Brancato and Michael Ferris, the same two guys who wrote Terminator 3 and don't understand the first two films, or time travel, or story structure, or people. It's long and boring and full of disgusting robots that look and sound exactly like the lifeless personality-free monstrosities that Michael Bay has convinced the world Transformers are. They make the same horrible, discordant, foghorn noises every time they're on screen, and it makes every action sequence feel the same. You don't care about the characters, so the action is meaningless. And there's so much of it that it makes the whole film, overall, just as meaningless as the action itself. And just a screaming mess of metal garbage. Ah, are you okay? What? Are you okay? Stop! Ah! Garbage. It's a garbage island. Christian Bale is utterly dislikable as John Connor. See, Nick Stahl was a morose idiot. But Bale is a roaring, growling, traumatized wreck without a glimmer of humanity. Command wants us to fight like machines. They want us to make cold, calculated decisions. But we are not machines. And if we behave like them, then what is the point in winning? He's Optimus Prime in Transformers 3 and 4 and most of 2. He's just an angry soldier for white teenage males to paste themselves onto. The Call of Duty influence is smashed onto this film, delivering at its most head-slappingly clear moment an on-rails action sequence taking us up in the air in a helicopter, over an explosion, back down into a crash, and then Connor crawls away from a Terminator and into an enforced turret section. The first stage ends, and we go on to the next. He's obsessed with saving Reese, ostensibly because Reese is the key to saving the future, but increasingly because it seems like he just wants to exist. And if he doesn't, who's going to save the fucking day? Certainly not the high council of gruff men who don't take kindly to this loose cannon bucking authority. Everyone else fawns over him, like he's Neo in the Matrix sequels, like he can literally fly. There's no point in between these two extremes, except for Marcus, who doesn't give a shit. So this gives us an entirely redundant range of perspectives on Connor's importance. Oh yeah, and he has this walking womb of a pregnant wife. Dallas Bryce Howard now hardly matters, though. She's barely in it. He's important, John, because his mum said he was important. Yet... At the end, he invokes Terminator 2. There is no fate but what we make for ourselves. And he mumbles that the future is not set. Okay then, chaps. What happened to those constants and variables that you laid down in Terminator 3? Why save Reese at all? Why does it have to be John who saves humanity? 
Answer because that's what studios know that audiences know, and they don't want to challenge that, as it may possibly affect their box office success. Sam Worthington's Marcus Wright isn't much better. A simple, uniformed avatar. To enable the audience to stumble through this tedious, desaturated, first-person shooter wasteland, growling at everybody we meet, and having them growl back. There's a brief stop with Moon Blood Goods Blair Williams, in which some tenderness might occur but that's immediately sidelined for an attack by drooling hillbilly rapists and the customary beating of said savage manimals by our johnny template number two rescuing the defenseless girl who is oh so grateful but here's the thing that the whole story hangs upon and that the writers can't manage to convey with intelligence it's 2018 14 years after judgment day 11 years before reese is supposed to be sent back Skynet is putting out lumbering T-600 Terminators. Remember the kind with rubber skin that were unconvincing for infiltration? Their T-800, the CGI Arnie that turns up at the end, is a prototype. In the original timeline, those things, the Arnies, would be new in 11 years. So God knows what Skynet becoming active seven years later than originally conceived would do to the tech, but I'd hazard a guess that it equates to a lot more Bayformers. But let's just say for the sake of argument that it was somehow possible for Skynet to feed the preserved organs and brain of a death row convict from 15 years ago into a new type of endoskeleton which seems more advanced than both T-600 and the classic Arnie T-800, less armoured and with a glowing orange weak spot in its chest that can be hit for massive damage. But absolutely the most convincing infiltration unit ever to the point where he's convinced of his own humanity. To the point where he changes allegiances. So let's pretend for a moment that this makes sense on a technological progression timeline. Let's lie to ourselves and say that this works. Helena Bonham Computer states that Marcus <laughs> has achieved what Skynet has been trying for years. To kill John Connor. That's future Skynet, not current Skynet. How the hell does 2018 Skynet know about Kyle Reese? He's just a street urchin at this point. I can understand them targeting John Connor today. If they analyze the human resistance hierarchy, John Connor does figure into a sphere of influence, but they would not know in 2018, 11 years before the invention of their time machine, when Connor and his forces broke through their defences and beat Skynet and smashed their defence grid, that he was the so-called saviour of mankind. Because he's not yet. Or that Kyle was his father. They're both just soldiers right now, and Skynet is, at its core, a simple machine defending itself. It can't see the future! And it doesn't have this information. It doesn't think fourth dimensionally. And if it does. We need to see evidence of this. We need a conversation elaborating upon the idea that because of all the time travel, Skynet has an innate awareness of the constants of the future, no matter the variables of the present. It would make sense if Marcus was sent back from an alternative 2029 or later, both in terms of what Skynet should know then and in the complexity of his tech. Those extra years of allowing humans to develop the internet before Skynet was properly created and other tech can be believed to push forward the development times there and they would know of Connor's significance, even if not Kyle's. But in screen terms, when you're aiming at an audience you don't think are very bright, Marcus can't converse with a Skynet from the future embodied by Helena Bonham Carter if he's in the past. At least not in a simple way of wandering into the most secure building on the planet, which, by the way, they managed to do in Terminator 3. We didn't mention that in the last podcast. They just wander into mission control. You know, John and Kate and the Terminator. And so does the Terminator. Okay, I get that the Terminatrix could do that. But they just wander in like it's a fucking Arby's. So Marcus, he can't converse with Helena Bonham Carter in the past. At least not in a simple way of wandering into the most secure building on the planet and firing up a very handy terminal. It's like human-sized, human-scaled, very pristine room, like just there so someone can wander in and do exactly that. So rather than delivering a complex explanation, they fudged it and hoped the audience were as unquestioning as they as writers were themselves. So for me, the central premise of this story doesn't work at all. 
and everything else hung around it is angry, miserable, boring, gibberish. It's less disrespectful to the source material and doesn't try and fail to be funny like Terminator 3. And at least it's changing the formula ever so slightly. But being ever so slightly better than one of my most hated films of all time is no badge of quality. I mean, Sharon, what did you think? Uh, I don't think it's as bad as three. It certainly didn't make me as irate as three. Um, possibly because there is that distance between uh, the formula, like mm. you said. Three is slavishly trying to follow a pattern that's been set down and messing it up royally. And there is something different from the Terminator pattern in this, but not different from everything else. And I think that was what frustrated me with this one, was that they tried to take something which was very, very meaningful for me personally and make it just the same as everything else. I found four actors, I think, in this who would have made a better John Connor than Christian Bale. Mm. Yeah, Anton Yelchin does actually really quite... I mean, Anton Yelchin is the uh, Claire Danes of this film in that he sort of saves it a little bit. He's the only good thing. Like, he's yeah, doing he's, a Michael Bean impression. And it would, also, like his, his perspective on life would make for a more convincing John Connor. Absolutely. Well, in, in fact, maybe that's what I mean then. Not necessarily that these actors would have been better as that John Connor... But if that character, as they framed him in this story, had been John Connor, that would have been more believable for me um, and and more understandable than this mid-range soldier who's trying to get the uh, higher-uppers to believe in his prophecies while simultaneously inspiring the rest of the, inverted commas, resistance. Because... Here's another thing that really did wind me up about this one. And he says this a couple of times, the idea that they are on the brink, the idea that they are the resistance, that they are all that's left to stand against the machines. Dude, you are not on the brink. You've got fucking helicopters. You've got sky bombers that zoom in from nowhere A-10 to take tank out. Busters. Where are they storing these things? Where are the runways? Why, Why aren't they, they getting the by fuel for these things? I mean, it, the, the ragtag collective that Kyle described in the first film, that's what Anton Yelchin is part of. Hiding in carcasses of bombed out petrol stations it's and gorilla warfare. Uh, it's not yeah just, exactly with his incredibly high-end sony vio technology that i'm sorry skynet would have co-opted yeah. you you wouldn't have been able to have technology of that level because skynet would have got into it here's the thing Battlestar Galactica, you know how the only reason the Galactica is safe is because it's not on the network? Yeah. Da-da. Da, yeah. Um, so... That's the thing, yeah, all of their tech should be old, like 80s old, because it would have to be not... I mean, that would have been a really good stylistic choice for the film. It would have made them, like, they would have to fight with old stuff and and sort of it would invoke the 80s. Oh, my God, I've just come up with way better design aesthetics off the top of my head! Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so Anton Yelchin's character uh, uh, and the way he played Kyle Reese, that would have been a better John Connor. Marcus Worthington, I think the, the original idea was for, uh, no, Marcus Worthington, Marcus Wright. Marcus Worthington. <laughs> I'm conflating the two. John Bale. Right. Sam, <laughs> Sam Worthington originally was intended to play John Connor um, and they wanted Christian Bale to play... Uh, the Terminator character, but apparently Bale went, no, 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 no. I've got to be John Connor. Connor. I've got to be the saviour of mankind, otherwise it doesn't work. I've got to be the blank slate that the young boys can project themselves onto. The clean slate. And because he was Christian Bale, who I believe either the producer or the director described as the most credible action star of... (laughs) Uh, So he basically does the Batman voice the whole way through. Um, And... Yeah, had they gone with that that way round, with Christian Bale playing the Terminator character and uh, Sam Worthington playing John Connor, mm-hmm. that probably would have worked a bit better for me. I don't think that would have defeated the rest of it. But I believe Christian the little, the little kid who doesn't talk. 
Clement would have been a more interesting focal character, frankly, than Christian Bale. By the unimaginative, by the way. Oh, we've got to get a kid in there. Let's make her mute so we don't have to actually have any child but, actors speak. That's another thing, though. The dynamic of the, the protector and the protected that ran through the first two and the way there are moments where that flips around... They have a little kid chasing round after them for a sizable portion of the movie. Nobody seems particularly bothered about whether or not she gets hurt. She's just there. <laughs> There's no particular sense of we must protect this child because everybody's so focused on uh, defending Kyle Reese or believing stroke, not believing John Connor, depending on which side of the line you stand on. Another thing. Um, and we, we said before about how Terminator 3 isn't even consistent with its own um, timeline. Yep. This isn't consistent with its own setup because you have earlier on in the film, Band-Aids are precious things that they have to hoard because they have so few of them. Antibiotics, stated explicitly by Moon Bloodgood, are hard to come by. At the end, they managed to get the equipment to do a friggin' heart transplant on John Connor. <laughs> not as bad as T3, but that's not saying much. That's is pretty it, much what, what, what yeah, down you boiled down my review to that. Hmm. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, there's a point where they, they meet some, like, a ragtag bunch of rebels, like, like, just, like, people who live in the wilderness, and they say, oh, the dark season is coming. And it's like, you've forgotten the word winter? And it's like this old woman turns up and is like, oh, it's got all Mad Max 3. And then it's like, oh, that, that could be interesting. No, let's just round them up for prison camp. There is, There will be no characterization. No characterization of the world either. Yeah. This does, this does not so look... so featureless. This so does not boring. look like a world that's been nuked. It looks like the back end of California. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's deserty. They have dumped cars randomly around the place. That's how you know it's post-apocalyptic apocalyptic folks but here's a question for you that truck or well it's like a, a four-wheel drive or something that they find that they take right whatever nuclear bombs have fallen in that area have apparently been able to burn off the car doors yet preserve not only the cassette player but the cassette that's in it and the tires even if if it had just been sat there for 14 years without nuclear bombs being part of the equation, the tyres would have perished. Yes. But no, they're perfect. Also, at the point when uh, John Connor like uh, puts in some Guns N' Roses on the radio, because he just loves him some Guns N' Roses still, um, and then like trips up the motorbike thing, it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a motorbike Terminator. He then like rewires it, and you're like, oh, right, that's kind of like a, a hot wiring a bike, and gets on it and drives the... It, it, it's not designed for a human to ride it. It's, it wouldn't be designed like that. It it's, wouldn't have it a seat. Have, it wouldn't have pedals. Oh. I mean, it would have made more sense if he just had a motorbike. Yes. <laughs> yes, that would have made more sense. Yeah, because you'd imagine like, at some point throughout his military career he'd have found one and kept it. Mm, but no, so. they, they, they have him chip that thing up just for, for no apparent reason. He could have hidden it in the same place as they hide the bombers. Yeah. Uh, okay, right. so when Blair Williams is like um, hanging from her parachute, she starts to cut it off and then falls and he grabs her. And it's like, you didn't think that one through, did you? Like, what was your, what was your plan here? And I'll, I'll, I'll cut through this and then I'll let go of the knife in a nanosecond and he'll grab me by the hand. Mm. However, What's your plan to fall 20 feet and break both ankles? Here's the thing, though. This is... This is a, a Darwin Award. This is, this is a woman. And, and in fact, no, I'm, I'm not even going to credit it with that. The, the, the character is a cipher. She is there solely to give Marcus something to ogle. <laughs> That's it. Because this apparently tough, intelligent pilot um, goes out from a relatively sheltered, protected spot into the rain to take her clothes off to wash her wounds in what I can only assume is irradiated water. (laughs) But she gets her tits out, gets her tits out, gets her tits out for the lads. Now, I'm going to play you a very special little bit from uh, Comic-Con uh, where uh, um, I, I think, yeah, yeah, Moon Blood Good, fine actress, was, um, was slightly put on the spot by McGee, the director. 
And the reason why I wanted Moon to stand up is a big lightning rod. Where are my friends from Warner Brothers? Do you want to see Moon's boobs in the picture? Because we shot that. It's turning out to be something that we're not sure if it's going to go in the movie. And I want to take the temperature of this room. Alright. Who does not want to see Moon's boobs in the picture? That's deeply unprofessional to a baying audience of morons. Yeah, then there was that bit when uh, uh, Michael Ironside, bless him for turning up in this. Uh, in Terminator 3, it transpired that Skynet was everywhere. You know, it got into computers. It was in the internet. It was everywhere. There was no uh, central place for it to be destroyed. And then... <laughs> was it in the president's internet? It was in the president's internet. And then Michael Ironside says, and now to bomb Skynet. Oh, so it isn't everywhere. It is, in fact, in one place, then. Brilliant. Like any machine, it has a modem, and we could turn it off and on again. <laughs> commence like the... bombing on Skynet. So what you mean is commence bombing on everywhere. Yeah. They bombed it. Where? Everywhere. everywhere. Um, the ending. The original ending, it was rumoured that basically um, they were going to, like, put John Connor's face onto Marcus. Would and have been so- better. So the idea is that Marcus was going to be a machine who claimed to be John Connor. And um, I caught wind of that. Oh, that's really good. That actually wasn't the actual ending. The actual uh, original ending was going to be they do exactly that. And then everyone comes into the room, and, like including Dallas Bryce Howard's Kate. Kate? Is her name Kate? It doesn't matter. Yes. She's a walking womb. She was actually pregnant. I think she was actually pregnant at the time of filming. Um, so, you know, at least well, let's all thank Dallas for showing up. And there's that incredibly important kid that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the dislikable T-800 in the uh, first uh, Terminator 3, mentioned. Um, uh, So everyone goes, oh, it's John Connor, and this is totally convincing. They they took the face off. Because apparently they had the the technology for that in this, like, you know, premise. And then uh, he sort of stands up and goes, aha, and shoots everyone in the head. Oh, God. Kyle... Uh, Kate, everyone else, like Common, who's uh, John Connor's friend, who never really talked much, but yeah, he's there. And like everyone shoots, and he goes, applesauce, bitch, and Skynet wins, the end. And uh, Christian Bale heard that one, yes, let's do that, I totally want to fucking do that, because he's insane. And uh, he really wanted to get it done, and uh, uh, McGee said no, because, you know, sequels and shit, because you can't do it if you kill everything off. See, I think you probably can. Either you rewrite it or you abandon the Connors and you accept that the future war is going to happen whether the Connors are there or not. You know? Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. You know, ultimately, you don't have to lean on John and Sarah and Kyle for every single film. Next week, Terminator Genesis, where they lean on John and Sarah and Kyle. Or not, because I'm not seeing it anymore. Oh, there was that one bit where Common knocks out Marcus Wright, who is a Terminator, by bashing him in the face with the butt of a rifle. I mean, would that work? I mean, even if he has a human brain in there, which doesn't make any sense, because, I mean, where's all the Terminator processing going? He's got a metal face! It's like he's wearing a crash helmet inside his head. I mean, at the very least, Common should have whacked him in the face and then just, like, carried on whacking him six or seven more times because he just wasn't going out. See, I kind of like the idea that John is, like, a badge, like a, like a, a legend and uh, something that, you know, uh, yeah, everyone's like, oh, I'd die for John Connor, but the John Connor they're talking about doesn't actually have to be the John Connor that Sarah gave birth to. He simply, you know, carries the torch and then that could have been passed on to Marcus. That would have been a brave move, um, but they didn't even think about that as a possibility. Yeah. John as a Terminator. Mm. And we'll see how <clears throat> Genesis pans out, shall we? Let's. Speaking of finding out major plot twists that actually would have served the story had they not been revealed in the promotion of the film, we do briefly need to discuss Marcus Wright in that his character is supposed to be this mysterious figure who could be from the future, could be from the past, we don't know. Um, ostensibly, he is uh, the remains of a death row inmate who died just before Skynet got domination of the world. And then they kept bits of his body on ice 
because he'd submitted himself to you know, medical experiments. In 2018, Skynet suddenly hatches a plan, fishes the bits out of storage, puts them into a new armoured endoskeleton, wraps it in a skin which is a thousand times more convincing than either the ones with rubber skin or indeed Schwarzenegger himself. They decided they needed to infiltrate the humans and take out John Connor, so they send him in as a sleeper agent, unaware that he is in fact a Terminator sent to do this. That's an interesting concept. Except, of course, as I said earlier, that the tech doesn't match up with the development of Skynet's tech. But because you find this out in the trailer, rather than being this mysterious figure, the first hour of the movie, you just sat there going, when's he going to find out? This is taking ages. You know more than he does. That shouldn't be the case. And if it is the case, it needs to be part of the movie. They need to sow the seeds so that you're aware of what he's unaware of. And that needs to actually be woven into the tension of the section. But it's never actually made clear earlier in the movie. So you are supposed to find out at that time halfway through. Something you already know. That's the only thing the film would have going for it. The mystery of who Marcus Wright is. Instead, you're waiting forever for these bumbling simpletons to actually catch up with what everyone knows. And then, so because that takes so long, you think there's going to be some huge payoff. But all the payoff is really is that he exercises free will. But since there's so many human organs and bits in there already, you made him so human, that doesn't really seem like that much of an achievement. You know, effectively, he's more of an armoured human. Basically, you can make the story so much better if you just had him sent from 2031 or something after John singularly failed to take out Skynet in 2029 and have him be this brand new prototype post-TX Terminator that was sent back with prior knowledge of how important John was to find him and kill him without his prior knowledge and for him to be actually not human at all but believe he's human and then exercise free will. That is a story. Instead, we get a muddled mess. Oh, and I think the one time that my pulse went, oh, okay, something, was when the CGI Terminator Arnie turns up. Uh, That's kind of fun for a moment. It, it, It sort of gets Arnie in, but it does also call into question, you know, can these films be done without Arnie? Well, they can, you just do it in CG. Which means that they can't be done without Arnie, because he's still there. So, again, this is kind of like the Alien films cannot be done without Ripley. We need to move beyond Schwarzenegger, we need to move beyond Sarah and John Connor. I say we need to, we're not, we're not gonna. We're not going to. They're stuck in a loop. Uh, This is McGee on John's struggles to become the leader. You survive the nuclear holocaust and you crawl out of the hole after three to five years and say, well, I know what's going on. I'm the one. Some SAS guy isn't going to say, where do I go, boss? He'd say, shut the fuck up and get in line. Oh, there was that bit where Christian Bale gives one of his many, many impassioned, angry speeches. They're all the same. Uh... And he went nuts, fucking nuts, in real life with the director of photography. Uh, To give this context, this was uh, Shane Hurlbut, the DP, who had walked into Bale's eyeline when he was doing his most... He was preparing for his most dramatic scene. He was supposed to be giving that impassioned speech about, you know, what is the point? And um, Hurlbut wandered into shot. Now, he did apologise for this later... Uh, unreservedly, and said he was well out of order. Kick your fucking ass! I want you off the fucking set, you prick! Sorry. No, don't just be sorry. Think for one fucking second. The the fuck are you doing? Are you professional or not? Yes, I am. Do I fucking walk around and rip that? No, shut the fuck up, Bruce. Do I want? No, no. Don't shut me up. Am I going to walk around and rip your fucking lights down in the middle of a scene? Then why the fuck are you walking right through? Ah, da-da-da-da, like this in the background. What the fuck is it with you? What don't you fucking understand? You got any fucking idea about 
Hey, it's fucking distracting having somebody walking up behind Bryce in the middle of the fucking scene. Give me a fucking answer. What don't you get about it? I was looking at the light. Oh, good for you. And how was it? I hope it was fucking good because it's useless now, isn't it? Fuck's sake, man, you're amateur. Look, gee, you got fucking something to say to this prick? I didn't see it happen. Well, somebody should be fucking watching and keeping an eye on him. Fair enough. This is the second time that he doesn't give a fuck about what is going on in front of the camera. All right? All right? I'm trying to fucking do a scene here and I'm going, why the fuck is Shane walking in there? What is he doing there? Do you understand my mind is not in the scene if you're doing that? Do you hear that, folks? McGee, the director, the man who's supposed to be basically... See, see there? Sharon just walked in the front door, kind of putting me off. But you know what I'm not doing? Screaming and swearing at her. How's it going, honey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, right, yeah, McGee, the director, the guy who's supposed to be corralling this whole thing, making sure his actors are happy, comfortable, knowing what they're doing, if they're doing intense stuff to make sure that it's quiet on set. Look, G, you got fucking something to say to this prick? I didn't see it happen. I didn't see it happen. Like some little kid in a playground. This man should not be directing. And if, if, his, if his, the end result of his products were fantastic, then you know what? Like James Cameron, who's rather cruel, it would be worth it. But it ain't worth it. He's incompetent. Anyway, back to Christian Bale, screaming, swearing, blah, blah, blah. Stay off the fucking set, man. For fuck's sake. Right, let's go again. Let's not take a fucking minute. Let's go again! And let's not have you fucking walking in! It's kind of reminding me of Bill O'Reilly right now. That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. And we will leave you with a... I, I can't do it. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! Right. Fucking thing sucks! Yeah. Can I have Tom put this on, please? You're unbelievable, man. You're unfucking believable. Number of times you're strolling and fucking around in the background. I've never had a DP behave like this. Ah, you don't fucking understand what it's like working with actors. That's what that is. No, that's, that's what that is, man. I'm telling you. I'm not asking. I'm telling you. You wouldn't have done that otherwise. No, what it is is looking at the light and making sure that you are... I'm going to fucking kick your fucking ass. You don't Christian, shut up for a second, all right? I'm going to go. Do you want me to go fucking trash your lights? Do you want me to fucking trash them? Then why are you trashing my scene? You are trashing my scene. You do it one more fucking time, and I ain't walking on this set if you're still hired. I'm fucking serious. You're a nice guy. You're a nice guy. But I don't fucking cut it when you're bullshitting and fucking around like this on set. Yeah, you might get it. He doesn't fucking it. Get, it. get it. You might. I get it. He does not get it. And good adjustments, okay? For real. Honestly, I get it. No, I don't need any fucking walking. He needs to stop walking. I, get that. I ain't the one walking. Let's get Tom and put this back on. Let's go again. Seriously, man, you and me, we're fucking done professionally. You know what, Christian? I do believe you're right. Fucking ass. Now, if you were wondering, this was the speech that he was trying to do there. This is what that was worth. This is John Connor. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Listen carefully. If we attack tonight, our humanity is lost. I once knew a woman who told people to fear the future, that the end was coming, that all would be lost. Sarah never told John that all would be lost because what's the point of training somebody up to fight? to save humanity if all would be lost. Nobody wanted to hear her truths. Society locked her away. That woman was Sarah Connor. 
My mother. Nobody knows who Sarah Connor is. Nobody knows who John Connor is. This means nothing to anybody he's talking to. Now we know that what she predicted has all come to pass. Command wants us to fight like machines. They want us to make cold, calculated decisions. But we are not machines. And if we behave like them, then what is the point in winning? He's the opposite of John Connor in Terminator 2. He's the opposite of John Connor in the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Command is going to ask you to attack Skynet. I am asking you not to. Because my dad's in there. And he's really important. You know, to me. And I'm really important to the future. Like now. If even one bomb drops on Skynet before sunrise, our future will be lost. How? What will happen if Kyle Reese dies? Honestly, the timeline's already been changed many times. John Connor exists. If John Connor winks out of existence, time has already been changed again. How does he know what will happen? This isn't even the Kyle Reese who was his father. The Kyle Reese who was his father is a different Kyle Reese from a different, now redundant timeline. He existed. Way back in 1984, he existed. It doesn't matter what happens to this Reese here. It really doesn't. Uh, but let's say it does. Let's imagine it does. Let's pretend, despite all evidence to the contrary, that it does matter and that it must happen. What if Kyle Reese dies, John winks out of existence, but because they're bombing Skynet, they destroy Skynet. He's trying to scupper maybe the only chance they've got because he's afraid it will change the already changed history which happens to be all about his existence and him being super important. He is, I mean, Michael Ironside's right. He's a serious threat to the resistance. So please, stand down. Give me the time to protect our future that all of us are fighting for. Give me the time to protect me that all of you should be fighting for. I'm the only hope you have. Okay, so Marcus Wright is the only hope that John has of rescuing Kyle Reese, the only hope that John has of John existing and being the only hope that humanity has. Uh, drops mic, I'm done. Next up, Neil Taylor of Gameburst volunteers himself for salvation termination duty, and we elaborate on some of the themes this movie singularly failed to capitalise on. Oh, Jesus. I Just, this is a by-the-numbers film that just so happens to be called Terminator. Mm. It really is, and it, it's written by... When you say it was by the guys that wrote the third film, I was like, really? Because they should at least have some knowledge of what they're doing, but clearly they haven't bothered since Terminator 3. Yeah, oh, that, that made money. Oh, we can do another one then. It feel, I, would, I would have been surprised if you if, if someone else had told me that. And I'd have gone, are you sure? Because they seem to be written in two different styles. Like the, the, the third one, very like attempts at, at rubbish humour. The fourth one, totally humourless. Yeah, they probably realised they can't do humour. Yeah. At all, so they just just that, that, oh, that didn't work. So, so let's try something different. Hmm. And it's just like, as a premise, why do we need to see this future world? We we know it's fucked, basically. Yeah, we're done. The whole point of sending people back is kind of well. The whole original point was prevent Judgment Day from happening, so human humankind can carry on. But there's no one doing it now in T three. They were like saying, no, that's a constant. God for a, for a certain television series, but hey, yeah. More well, the I, the idea you would think would be that once Judgment Day becomes set in stone and can't be changed, um, and it's happened, and you're in the future war, there's not really much point in doing anything. The, the machines have already wiped out as much of humanity as as they're going to because the ultimate end of of the beginning of Terminator was that the humans had won. 
they had got through and they had destroyed Skynet. Mm. So once the war is done, in the sense that the bombs have all been dropped and the two-thirds of humanity is wiped out, there is almost literally no more damage that the machines can do. All you have to do then is is kind of... Well, if, if you're here, basically, you know that they're sending people back in time didn't work. Yeah. You know, the more I think about it, the more oddly curious I am about Genesis, just, just to see what actually happens in it. I don't want to see it. But don't I want, do it. That's I, what they want you to do. <laughs> but I want to have seen it. Damn. <laughs> that, that's what the Blu-ray release was for, or the rental, at least. But, oh. I just... This film is just so weird because it's also really odd casting choices. So you've got Sam Worthington, Mr. Blandy McBland Bland. He is. It is, yeah. And then you've got Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. Shout him a shout, shout. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying to not use a word that's really cliched, so I, I'm desperately trying to come up with a different option. He's so uninteresting now. I'm trying to remember, like, back when Batman Begins came out, he was fascinating for me. Yes, he was, because he'd done stuff like Machinist, American Psycho. Yeah. He seemed, I mean, like, he seemed like a a modern-day De Niro. Now, I don't find De Niro particularly interesting as an actor, but just the idea of him getting that much into the role. I suppose like Daniel Day-Lewis as well, getting that much into the role. But now we've seen what happens when you get that much into the role. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and also Daniel J. Lewis has been genuinely offensive to members of the public who had nothing to do with the film whilst deep into character. I remember he, I think I mentioned this before on the podcast, he brought a, a, a stiletto with him on a, a plane and got stopped at the airport and basically pretending to be Bill the Butcher from uh, Gangs of New York, whom he was preparing for the role of, he basically just mouthed off and refused to let go of his stiletto to the poor security guard. It's like, you know what, do you know what, Dan? Be a grown-up, Okay. You know that Bill the Butcher wouldn't go to an airport. So how about you drop the act? Or walk to wherever it is you're going. Yeah, Seattle. <laughs> I, I don't know. Just that, that, that's, there are upshot, like, there's a time and a place for method acting, ultimately. I know that that is kind of an oxymoron. Like, mm. it's, it's a catch-22 situation. But you literally can't live, breathe, eat, drink, and sleep your character if you aren't in the context of your character. And that's why sort of you get the jokes about character actors and people mm. taking the piss because they're the guys that take it to the extremes. Don't get me wrong. Someone like Daniel Day-Lewis is very, very good. And but also, who told him that John Connor had to be so angry and vile? Because that's all he seems to do yeah. these days. Um, <laughs> is Moses also angry and vile? I, can't, I don't know. Uh, no, no. I, I long ago gave up on Ridley, so... But um, Christine Bell is so uninteresting now. He, he was the guy that did the quirky, interesting films and then some really terrible stuff like Shaft and Reign of Fire. Can you dig Equilibrium. it? Equilibrium. <laughs> and then he did Batman Begins. And the trouble is that it was Nolan that got people into those films, not Batman. Because, you know, when we do it in the podcast on The Dark Knight, mm. how many times do we moan about the voice? The voice. It's actually, if you go back and watch Batman Begins, that was when he was good. Um, it's more measured. He holds it back a little. Uh, it's, it's, it's the Dark Knight where he starts doing this and becomes less of a, a man in a suit and more of an inhuman monster, barely caged. And here we just have this angry man that's meant to inspire people. And here's a problem with films. Yeah. It is very, very hard to do inspiring speeches that aren't from history. Because mm, mm. they're going to feel like something from history because you've got to read some for inspiration. You can't just look, write a, a really inspiring speech off from scratch. It's got to be based on something. There's only one film that I truly love that's got sort of those kind of things in and that's Patton. But yeah. that's because that comes from history. Whereas when you try and in your in your reality of this film, you, you're trying to create this man who is an inspirational leader. It's a very awkward and fine line to walk without it either being, you know, hey, Mr. Motivational Speaker or try and just cliched and it come off as just trite and cliched. Of, I'm an angry man and we have to stand for this and uh, fight and save the future. Who but- will? I think part of the issue with that, though, is that if you're going to have somebody who is um, has been described from the very beginning of this franchise as an inspiration, you have to 
A, you have to see him inspiring people and hear him inspiring people. But B, he needs to be inspiring them to something. The whole point of what Connor was all about was inspiring people to hold on. For them to be holding on, they have to be hanging on by a thread to begin with. And they're doing okay. Yeah, they are not hanging on by a thread in this film. The amount of equipment that they have at their disposal, the, the, mm. sort of the, the, the army guys or the high council or the Michael Ironside, who's a high council. <laughs> they felt like uh, the, the guys in the Matrix, you know, the, uh, like, uh, the, the ones that uh, Morpheus is always arguing with. Yes, yes. The yeah, Matrix is really incompetent, so I can argue with you, and this yeah. is how they are in this film. But we're going to have Michael Ironside be. Michael Ironside, who I love, just yeah, he's, he's, he's he a can mean be, old bastard. He, he's he's always been a mean old bastard, though, hasn't he? Yeah. I, I, he was much more engaging in uh, uh, Starship Troopers, though, because he was actually in the field. In fact, this movie made me want to see Starship Troopers. Now you're making me want to watch Starship Troopers. Well, why would you not? Why would you fight that? Just go watch. <laughs> oh, Hoven, how I love! Thee. I can't wait for them to remake that. That's going to be great the tangents can go off but it's like you know what there's a film it's not recent that has a fairly okay inspirational speech but that's probably because you're in i'll be honest it's probably because you're in the moment and you're carried away with it mm-hmm. and you will laugh but you know what it's still fun in the moment and in the context of the film okay independence day I yeah you're gonna say that yeah do like a bit of independence day it's uh it, it's it's dated now. The, the landscape of cinema has changed, um, and I don't love it as much as a lot of people do love it. But I don't dislike it as much as I used to. It's a weird <laughs> one because <laughs> it does. Because if you think about that scene where he, the president's giving that particular speech, it fits and it feels right, and it feels connected to the events that are going on and taking place. Oh, dude, do you want to talk about in, 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 inspirational speeches? Today we will fight, face the monsters that are on our gates. Uh, I forgot about that one, but yeah. that, 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 I don't find that one as memorable. It's the, it's the end line, the whole, we will cancel, we'll cancel the, apoc- the apocalypse. That's what sticks in your head from that. But That's going to take some beating for me. But again, in the context of that scene in Pacific Rim, it makes sense. It follows the logic uh, and what's going on in the film, mm. and it fits. You pointed out when he's doing uh, the radio speech, uh, he's going on about his mother. My no mo- one knows who the freaking hell exactly. Sarah Connor is. Exactly. And if they did, has to spread the mythology of her by first getting to that place. And if they did, they probably just know her as this crazy. Old, well, I was going to say crazy old woman, but she wasn't. But this crazy woman with gun nut. Yeah, you know, she'd be the equivalent of you know the scary militia guys hiding up in the you know in in oh, I can't even think of a state. Sorry, guys, but uh, you know what I mean. They'd be yeah. the crazy gun nut people. Yeah, um, I mean, basically, the, the way it should break down is that John Connor leads people by example and inspires them. Wasn't it? They they were originally in prison camps, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. This was the film to do that by the way this yes. was the film to do that you have john connor starting as just a, a regular grunt soldier things go wrong and then he along with a load of other people get captured and then you see you basically feel what it's like to go through the process of being you know shoved around by the machines and and prodded and poked and like you work out that you're just going to be uh, harvested as John, and then you see him him step up at action because this was the time when he could be inspiring and not yeah. not basically going like big military operation, but for our very survival to break out of there and to somehow with with scraps with nothing to be able to get out of a prison camp and actually get back to the human resistance. When he comes back with everyone in tow, guess what? He's Steve Rogers in the first Avenger. Thank you. That's, I was just thinking out the top of my head, and then I realized at the very end, oh, you know, I've actually seen that one fairly recently. And then suddenly, you make John your Captain America, but then you still have him when he's, he's in reflection. Like, I, I, you know, I've been raised for this my entire life. I, I'm, I'm being inspirational, but I, I don't know if this is really coming from me. Is this- That's it. You need those elements of self-doubt to make yeah. that character work. And you make That would be an more, interesting character. A more softly spoken character, a more uh, sort of like a thoughtful character, someone who's like, 
but I'm thinking, like, you're just trying to see things from the machine's point of view. Like, that being the thing that causes the conflict between him and the other, the others. Because, basically, to lead, he has to be thinking ahead, you know? Mm. Rather than just a straightforward, clear, we will smash them! Because anyone in that army can say, we will smash them. It's not exactly master tactician is it yeah but or, there will always be that sense of doubt of like am i putting my trust too much in this the, the idea that there could be peace because i mean that's the extension of john connor it's not just john connor grows up and then in 2029 he smashes the what is it sharon the defense the grid. defense grid i mean like if if he does that all that is is just the fulfillment of something which sounded not massively interesting kind of like the clone wars i might add back in 1984 See, it's better to hear the idea of the future war, the Clone Wars. Yeah. The, 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 the idea you're actually is better. There, it's the current war. war, oh no. When you actually at war isn't as entertaining as you might hope. Um, I know there have been a bajillions of war films, but when you get down to it, imagine living Saving Private Ryan every day. You know? Um, it's 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 harrowing, and that does not get bums on seats, and that does not sell popcorn. There's something slightly removed about from the war about the Terminator films up till then, you know, because they're, they're well. The they're, whole point of the Terminator films is they are removed from the war. Yeah. The whole idea of the first two is to prevent the war. Absolutely, and the I, third one establishes that you sort of that you can't change history; you can only move it. It sort of borrows the whole Doctor Who fixed point in time idea. Yeah, that's not to say, by the way, that um, you you can't do a fil- uh, film set in the future war with no time travel in particular. But as I just said, you're know, getting them out of that camp. That's the first act, say, and then the uh, or maybe the middle of the second act. But by the by the third, he has to have started to like challenge, the, you know, be- begin to challenge the higher uppers, but with far- slightly more radical ideas. And for him to be doubting himself. And then basically, by the end, because let's face it, this is what um, Cameron was planning anyway. He needs to be talking to Skynet. John Mm. needs to be talking to Skynet. That is the thing we've been waiting for, really. Because it's the the two fixed points, which are the war and, by extension, Skynet. Because uh, the war doesn't happen without Skynet, as in, like, uh, Judgment Day itself. And there's John. Now, if you can get one in tow with the other. When he goes to Skynet, John's running around in a factory dealing with the uh, CGI version of Arnie. It's almost like he may as well not even be there. It's basically Sam, like, uh, what's his name? I want to say Richard Goodboy. What's his name? Marcus Wright um, is the one who's actually going through all the characterization in this film. And it's not much, but it's more than Bale. And he's a bloody robot. No, yeah. <laughs> sort of. So he's a, 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 a cyborg. He's he's the RoboCop type guy. See, there's only actually thinking about it, casting wise. There's two bits I like, which is obviously Michael Ironside yeah. and Helena Bonham Carter, just oh, because yeah. she, yeah, that she's usually good in whatever she turns up in. If she's going to be playing crazy, Helen Bonham Carter. Yeah, and I suppose if you're going to get the voice of uh, Skynet, it actually makes sense if it's. Uh, you know, a well-spoken British female actress that you that commands respect, as opposed to in the Matrix, it was just this screaming baby face made out of Sentinels. Mm. You know, see, British do villains so well. Yeah, Death Star, full of fucking British actors. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, oh, it's just there has to be a journey with John. It has to be the hero's journey. Mm. We've seen the growing, the sort of making, and then we have to see the hero's journey, like you said. The only reason we're seeing. The only reason we are seeing the 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 hurting of the humans, the uh, Anton Yelchin's sort of sub cowrie subplot mm. thing is, let's evoke Holocaust imagery because that'll work, <sighs> and that's all it's there for. That needs to be in the hands of a much more tactful, uh, well reined in director. This is it is not what you give to the director of Pretty Fly for a white guy, or the director of Stay Alive. Mm. Uh, uh, anyway, um. Ultimately, though, as I said this before, here's what would actually work as a Terminator sequel. Something set in 2035 or beyond. Something involving other people. Maybe have Son of Connor in there. But move away from Sarah. Move away from John. Let's move into a future where we don't know what's going to happen. And if you want to bring people back from the far future, that's interesting as well. By all means, stick time travel in there. But we can't predict what's going to happen if it's actually set 
way after the the defense grid's been smashed if skynet has evolved and has become something else maybe if we've actually begun to rebuild after the machines you know because the whole future war against robots thing it has been (laughs) done well you could do a terminator film like you're saying where john connor is just this you never see him maybe you hear him but you follow just normal people and you, you always you hear the legend of Connor. Mm. That would be interesting. He could become a mythical, legendary character. Because that's the whole point of John Connor. He's meant to be a mythical character. That does make perfect sense in terms of showing him inspiring people. It's not the person doing the inspiring that shows you the impact. It's the people that he is inspi- inspiring. Mm. Mm. It's not Bill Pullman that sells the speech in Independence Day. It's the faces of the crowd going, yeah, we can get behind this. Yeah, it's the reactions. Mm. It, it's Bill Pullman giving those people hope. You see the influence and thus the, uh, the, the, the person at the epicenter of it becomes that much more a potent figure. Yeah. Give me a fucking answer! What don't you get about it? Oh, good for you. And how was it? I hope it was fucking good because it's useless now, isn't it? Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. Right. Fucking thing sucks. And five, four, three. That's tomorrow and that is it for us today. I'm Bill O'Reilly. Thanks again for watching. We'll leave you with Sting and a cut off his new album. Take it away. Okay, so as Bill O'Reilly would say, to play us out, we have Dr. Mark Kermode's entire rant about Terminator Salvation. One of his best reviews ever, just in terms of pure vitriol and exasperation. Well, let's destroy any tension by starting off by saying that it is life-threateningly dull. Um, Terminator uh, is one of those classic things. Terminator 1, good. Terminator 2, better. Terminator 3, worse. Although I have to say Terminator 3 wasn't anything like as bad as it could have been. It's the old Godfather thing. 1, good. 2, better. 3, And going down, it was 18, 15, 12. Yeah, exactly. 18, 15, 12, which means in theory it should have been a PG. No, but it's it's, it's a 12 certificate movie and it exists you know solely because the money says it has to at the end of terminator 3 if you i mean the whole deal was you know terminator 1 the terminator is a killing machine terminator 2 he's a conflicted killing machine who turns out to be a dad machine in terminator 3 everyone's a machine terminator 4 directed by mcgee the film is a machine now if you cast your mind back to uh five six months ago when there was the christian bale outburst do you remember all this it was all over the news and youtube as a christian bale was on set doing a scene and the lighting cameraman had moved some lights around whilst he was doing it and he went mad and he went into this great long rant about you know how dare you do this i'm acting and of course being christian bale he did it in character in acting because christian bale's accent is of course not actually american but he does things in once he's doing a character he stays in that accent so he had a complete sort of you know ranting fit but with an american accent and michael winner was on the radio he was one of the very few people defending him saying you know if that had happened on my set I would have done exactly the same thing because when an actor is in the zone, when they're doing it, it's his scene, it's his big moment, blah, 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 blah. Of course they're going to get worked up because they're like De Niro, you know, they're thinking into the role. There was also an interview with a producer of Terminator, Terminator Salvation who said that Christian Bale didn't want to come on board originally because he didn't want to just make an action movie. He didn't want to just do that because, you know, he'd done The Dark Knight and he's, a, he's an intelligent guy. He's a very, very smart, if rather intense, young man. So all these indicators are, well, you know, it's not just going to be a stupid action movie because obviously he didn't want to do a stupid action movie. Plus, he was so involved in the role that when somebody moved the light around, he went completely mad. So before we get to the review, here is a clip. The plot is, you remember the end of Terminator 3? Well, everything got wiped out. This is now Terminator Salvation. It's the bit that you see briefly in the Cameron movies when the machines have taken over, but there's a resistance and the whole world is post-apocalyptic. And this is the voice that Christian Bale will do for every line in the film, whether he is ordering an attack or ordering some milk. This is John Connor. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. And he does the whole film. That's like that. Occasionally he gets a bit louder, and then he gets a bit quieter. 
Oh, that whole film. No, I can cope with that. You know, Batman speaks in that kind of no, voice. No, but, but, but okay. I think everyone thinks that in Dark Knight, the Batman voice was a problem because in Dark Knight, they had made the decision that somehow, when he was being Bruce Wayne, he talked like you know Christian Bale with an American accent. But when he was being Batman, he talked like that. He talked like you know somebody that was had, almost Yorkshire. It was. Well, <laughs> that's where he came from. But in this, there's a really weird thing that he's obviously gone into character and he's decided that the character of John Connor will just deliver every line in that voice. And I was I was thinking about this. I was thinking. Why would Christian Bale be in a Terminator when he himself has said nobody thinks that Terminator 3 is the best Terminator movie, so why do we need another one? I don't want to be in just an action movie. And, of course, the film is directed by McGee. McGee, who's uh, famous for directing the two Charlie's Angels movies. And he's famous for having said in the... Pra- I brought this in just to prove I'm not making it up. said in the paper over the weekend, this is McGee. I was this will head- be a Guardian supplement, of course, yeah. which will surprise nobody. No, but I just saw you know, I'm not making okay. it up. I was headbutted by Bill Murray. I mean, that, in a way, is the review of the film, right? McGee is a director who's headbutted by Bill Murray. I mean, I can't imagine a circumstance under which you could actually get Bill Murray to headbutt somebody, but McGee managed to do it. Now, McGee's entire... Can you stop that now? No, I can't, because that's his name. Yes, okay? we'll just say it No, And he has said, oh, one of the reasons people, people don't like me is because I'm called McGee. You go, no, you know what? There are so many reasons not to like you. And the fact that you're called McGee is actually the least of them. The reason people don't like you is you can't make films right charlie's angels and charlie's angels full throttle are like let's play dress up and you can all watch and everything's got to cut every other second because there's no substance to it and in fact i'm a you know advertising commercials television director who just happens to have landed on a movie set and been given this great big dressing up box to throw at the cinema screen and i remember sitting there watching charlie's angels and starting to get sort of mild palpitations irritated this was the way cinema was going in the middle of terminator salvation the only two things that kept me going through it because it's so crushing dull. I mean, it's explosions and crashes and hitting and shooting and hitting and shooting and shouting and explosions and crashes and hitting and shooting and it just goes on and on and on and the only two things that kept me sane were, why did Christian Bale do it, right? The money? Does he he need he just did Dark Knight, which is one of the biggest selling movies of all time. And secondly why on earth is it that anyone would sign up to a movie that was directed by McGee when it is clear from his past track record that, one, he can't direct films, two, his sets descend into, you know, outright aggression, three, the script wasn't the script that he wanted to do in the first place because it was just an action movie and he wasn't sure which character he wanted to do, and four... That it was, it was entirely the kind of situation in which he was suddenly going to walk on set one day. And here's what I think happened with the lighting thing, right? I think Christian Bell was on set and somebody moved a light in the And he just suddenly went, I've woken up. I'm, I'm, I'm in a movie directed by McGee. I'm, I'm in Charlie's Angels 3. One minute I was considered to be one of the, the great acting talents of the generation. I've suddenly, it's like that thing you wake up naked in your maths exam. You know, everyone has that, right? Maybe not uh, you, maybe just me. But everyone else has some you know, dream and you suddenly, wake up, how did I get here? And I think that's what happened. I think Christian Bell literally woke up on set one day and went, ah, I'm being directed by McGee. And that, that the knowledge of thinking, because I, I, I guarantee he knows not only that the film is rubbish, but that he is absolutely rubbish in it. And the only thing that kept me, that held my attention... Is this the fifth point, or is it still on four? ...was looking at the face of Christian Bale and thinking, around the explosions and all the rest of it, I can see that look of absolute panic when somebody realises they're doing something that they really shouldn't be doing. A final point. The film is directed... This is is the final point. Dedicated to the memory of Stan Winston. If you want to honour the memory of Stan Winston, go and hire Vengeance the Demon, a.k.a. Pumpkinhead. Next week, we will return and talk about something really worth your time. Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. If you haven't gotten hold of it yet, you can get the first season for very little money. That should at least whet your appetite for the second season, which will cost you considerably more. But the second season is where it gets really good. So we're doing our show on that next week. uh, And there will be a spoiler section nearer to the uh, end uh, where we talk about endgame material. And here's an interesting thing. If you love Terminator and love Terminator 2, but hate Terminators 3 and Salvation, but also love the Sarah Connor Chronicles, then you're very much like me and Sharon. We want to know if you've seen Terminator Genesis and liked it, because the only people that are telling me Genesis is quite good and not too bad right now, like 
one or the other of Terminator 3 and Salvation. So, kind of think of it like a dating game. Like, you know, if, if you match our profile, then you might be able to reliably tell us that Genesis might actually be worth our time. And to play us out, this is the Terminator Salvation theme by Danny Elfman. Uh, and it's a merry combination, copy-pasting the main theme from Batman Begins, Vespertilio, with the of the Matrix, and a lot of inflection from the Transformers soundtracks. Fused with I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And come, come with, with me, me if you, you want, want to, to live. Dear Mark and Simon, we've just been to see Terminator Regurgitation and we thought it was <laughs> really innovative. The first ever collage movie. Every single scene was from another movie. Yeah. This just in. Next week, we're actually talking about Terminator Genesis. Stay tuned, folks. Oh.